Hello and welcome to the Euractive Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News team. This week on the Euractive Agri-Food Podcast, wildfires, how can agriculture be part of the solution? And we take a closer look to the Commission's controversial JRC report on the Farm to Fork strategy. Well, welcome back. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's the return of the Euractive Agri-Food podcast. But not only are we back, but we're back bigger and better than ever with a fun new format and even funner new sound effects. So we're kicking off this new school year by bringing you up to speed with all the goings on this week. So first up, uh, the week was opened by the Agri-Fish Council, actually the informal Agri-Fish Council hosted by Slovenia this time, and it was in Slovenia, uh, as um, this country is the holder of the current EU Council uh, rotating uh, presidency. We said that in the newsletter last week, the informal meetings with the the agriculture ministers basically include um, trip to uh, rural areas and farms and are basically used um, to show to show off the country's best agricultural practices. Um, But uh, the talks among EU farming ministers were on uh, actually strengthening uh, the rural-urban dialogue in line with the recently presented rural area strategy, which aimed at, of course, a rural renewal. The issue is well known. Uh, Rural areas are depopulated and they're also um, kind of neglected when it comes to define the public policies. But at the same time, we're talking about regions that are not irrelevant at all, since almost 30% of the European population, uh, which is 137 million people in total, uh, live in rural areas, uh, which stretch over 80% of the EU's territory. So according to Agriculture Commissioner uh, Janusz Wojciechowski, the main problem is this um, gap between rural and urban areas and uh, and need to be afforded and and, and actually um, rural areas uh, need to be afforded more attention uh, in uh, both cohesion policy and the common agricultural policy. Likewise, the president of the Spanish region, Andalusia, Juanma Moreno Bonilla, uh, intervened during the minister's uh, talks. He's, he's the re- rapporteur for the rural strategy at the Committee of Regions, which is another institution. And he said that member state and uh, regional governments need to be encouraged to implement uh, the rural proofing approach for their strategy and investment in the current uh, programming period, so for the common agricultural policy, but also for the recovering and resilience plans. But we can say that the two main events of the week were actually uh, staged in Brussels and uh, precisely at the Agriculture Committee, right? That's right, yes, because this week saw not uh, not one, but actually two big votes on the future of the agricultural sector. So we had one on our old friend, the Common Agricultural Policy Reform, and also one on the Parliament's position on the EU's flagship food policy. So that's the, the farm to fork strategy. So, um, so to be clear, the outcome of the vote had no actual power to alter the strategy itself, but simply to kind of concrete the, the Parliament's position on the matter. Um, So predictably, ahead of the vote, tensions were pretty high among all the agricultural stakeholders who rallied round for a last-ditch attempt to sway MEPs. Uh, So we had in one corner a 
a group of nearly 30 agricultural stakeholders, including the likes of farmers, uh, EU Farmers Association, Copacajaca, and also SEJA, the European Council of Young Farmers. Um, and they all joined forces to warn against uh, several tabled additional objectives and targets to the farm to fork strategy, which they said risk being untenable for the agri-food sector. And so in the other corner, we had civil society organizations and NGOs pushing for lawmakers to make good on their word and vote for the farm to fork strategy, saying this is needed for the sake of the climate and the environment. So how did it go? Well, in the end, Parliament actually ended up voting in favor of all the amendments on the farm to fork strategy, which many stakeholders welcomed as sending a strong positive signal to the Commission that uh, it has Parliament's backing to be bold in its sustainability ambitions. And as for the cap vote, things got pretty fiery on Thursday in the Parliament, uh, with some MEPs already committing to vote against the proposal, including S&D's Maria Neukel, uh, who accused the process of being unreasonable, undemocratic and also unconstitutional. So pretty big words there. Uh, meanwhile, others, including rapporteur Peter Yar, insisted this is basically as good as it gets and must be voted through for the sake of Europe's farmers. And in the end... The deal did prevail with MEPs voting in favour of the deal, which will now be officially sealed in the November plenary session, although the date is still to be confirmed. And now for our first focus of the week, where we take a deep dive into uh, an issue. And this week, we're having a look back at one of the most devastating agricultural situations of the summer. So that's the fires that have swept across southern Europe. And we're asking how agriculture can be part of the solution. So this summer saw uh, record-breaking heat waves with temperatures reaching heights of over 48 degrees in Italy, um, which stoked wildfires that have devastated swathes of land and also killed dozens of people across southern Europe and northern Africa. So that includes places like Turkey, Italy and Greece. So in fact, by the 18th of August, the European Forest Fire Information System had actually registered more than 1,400 blazes this year. So that's 600 more than the, recent, uh, the most recent annual average. And on the 8th of July, the president of commission, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, visited the city of Ora in Cyprus, which was affected by huge fires that raged for multiple days at the beginning of the month. Uh, this is what she said. We have seen the horrible pictures, the devastating um, forces of the fire. Um, and I want to let you know that you have seen it here, but we have seen it in Europe and the whole of Europe was feeling with you and was at your side and is at your side. Indeed, the whole of Europe was watching acres and acres of forests uh, burning in the Mediterranean countries this summer. This is a problem that is set to get worse uh, thanks uh, to climate change and also thanks to the fact that much of Europe is fertile ground for fires with as much as 40% of its landmass covered by trees. So with this in mind, we decided to do this deep dive this week into the ways in which agriculture can actually help provide solutions for preventing fires. And uh, one of those that's putting an innovative approaches in practice is Claire Minier. And she's the director of the NGO um, Shared Mediterranean Conservatory, whose goal is to preserve and valorize rare and ancient fruit varieties in the Mediterranean. 
we have developed a program called Orchards of the Future, which consists of planting 20 conservatory orchards in Provence with public and private owners. Provence being a territory with a very high risk of forest fires, we have chosen to set up some orchards in strategic places to fight fires. The idea is that these orchards will act as firewalls between two forest zones and help slow down fires. They will also be used for relief as support area, water point, and communication routes by the authorities in charge of forest management and firefighters with whom we are closely working. Likewise, journalist Monica Pelliccia took a closer look at an interesting example of what farmers are doing to counter fires in Spain, which she detailed in a recent article. Galicia is a fire-prone region. It's dry in summer and rainy in winter. It's also the continent's hardest hit region in terms of wildfires. There we collected stories of women shepherds, firefighters and gothers practicing a form of agroforestry named silvopastor, where livestock graze among trees and bushes. The trees sequester carbon to cool the atmosphere, and the animals see tightly combustible bushes and lichens from the ground. That's crucial to prevent forest fires. This summer, hundreds of fires burned across the Mediterranean area, with damages as climate change causes record-breaking heat waves. So people who take care of mountains really need recognition and support from local administration and consumers. There was an interesting paper with eight proposals to tackle the scourge of fires, which was put forward this summer by the Italian Council of Agronomists and Foresters, uh, together with the Italian Society of Silviculture and Forest Ecology. They both say that the fight against fire should be achieved through tailored communication campaigns combined with adequate prevention and training of all those involved from qualified professionals such as agronomists and foresters to citizens and anyone who plays a role in maintaining the land or intervening in uh, emergency um, situations. One of the most interesting points of this uh, paper was uh, about designing agriculture to mitigate uh, damage. Fields, uh, gardens, vineyards, uh, pastures, if designed in a manner consistent with fire risk prevention, can reduce uh, flammability and make firefighting activities more effective. We spoke about forests and its sustainable management uh, with Antonio Brunori, who's an Italian expert on this matter. Forest fire represent the first threat to forests in the Mediterranean area, while for the rest of Europe, wind damage to forest is up to three times more impactful. 2020 has already marked the negative record of a burnt area in Italian rural and forest area in the last 20 years. My activity in PEFC, that is the Programme for Endorsement of Forest Certification, allows me to identify two determining factors for the growing phenomenon of summer fires, one of a climatic nature and the other of a management nature. Indeed, arsonists 
has always been there and they represent a constant variable if we want to understand the phenomenon of forest fire. Global warming is certainly a risk factor that increases the intensity of phenomenon compared to the past because heat waves and prolonged droughts place the vegetation in agroforest area in condition of high risk of fire. But a new factor compared to 30, 40 years ago is the lack of land management to the abandonment by man of many agricultural and forest areas. In fact, it is proven that in forest area certified for their sustainable management, according to uh, PFC certification scheme, the risk of fire is nine times lower than in non-managed areas thanks to continuous monitoring and also to the cleaning of area more prone to fire. The fire that breaks out today must have started fighting 15 years ago, in the sense that it is with prevention and management that the phenomenon of forest fire is reduced. And this activity is even more viable from an economic point of view because prevention costs are eight times less than the cost of damages caused by fires. Therefore, the money for the reduction of fire must be allocated more in prevention and active management for long-term period than in the active fight against fire in emergency mode. We have to facilitate the permanence of man on the rural areas and promoting the sustainable management of forest, preferably with forest certification as a proof of an integrated approach in the forest fire risk mitigation. Actually, one great example of um, planting firewalls using fire-resistant crops is with the prickly pear, which can be planted um, around a property or a farm as a wildfire protection and what is uh, what is known as firescaping or firewalling. Um, and this is because the prickly pear cactus stores a lot of water. It's virtually, you know, it's kind of like a standing wall of water or, or gel, and it creates a great fire barrier. Um, and this also comes with the added bonus of providing a nutritious and commercially very interesting crop. Um, also, the, the plant, the, the prickly pear, thrives in dry conditions. It grows really easily just from a pad. You basically throw it on the floor and it sprouts roots. Um, and it's also even useful for helping keep, uh, helping to keep out pesky neighbours thanks to its spine. I'm not thinking of actual people there. I'm thinking of uh, <laughs> other animals. And this is actually a technique that I used when I was working on a farming project in Greece which is actually on the island of Evia, where we've seen such devastating fires this year. And of course, uh, fighting fires as well as its prevention requires uh, resources. Uh, part of them could come from the uh, recovery plans. Uh, for instance, uh, in Greece, uh, 115 million uh, has been proposed in the recovery plan for the purchase of forest uh, firefighting, uh, prevention and response equipment, uh, and so on. And the same for Cyprus, who uh, immediately after the fire happened in, in July, uh, decided to devote 18, millions, 18 million uh, to equip firefighters. 
Some support could also be heading farmers away from the common agricultural policy. Uh, so here's what EU Agricultural Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski had to say about this. Fortunately, in the common agricultural policy, they are tools, they are instruments of support, which is uh, the um, measures, uh, measure five, measure seven in the uh, second pillar of the common agricultural policy, restoration, uh, reconstruction of the potential damaged by the natural disaster. We declared that uh, full support for and uh, very uh, uh, smooth procedure uh, for the, with them and cooperation with the member states applicating for this this uh, form of support. Coming up next, problems in the honey sector, new developments in the field of gene editing, and also the interview with Farm Europe's Zhao Pacheco on the Commission's JRC report. You can find your Active's AgriFood Brief podcast in our brand new podcast newsletter. Subscribe to it on youractive.com/newsletters. So we've already spoken about the devastation uh, to do with the fires that we saw this summer. Um, and actually, the honey sector has raised the alarm over uh, over these wildfires that swept across Greece this summer, saying that they have decimated the country's beekeeping sector, leaving the sector vulnerable to a barrage of cheap and potentially fraudulent honey imports. So we spoke with um, EU Farmers Association Copacajeca, who warned that up to 10,000 tonnes of the coveted pine tree honey could be lost this year. But while the short-term consequences of the fires were dire, the sector may also be reeling from the effects for years to come. So according to the association's honey expert, the only logical outcome of the devastation uh, to the sector is imports, and lots of them, and not necessarily to the EU's high quality. So the expert was warning that uh, the flooding of the market with cheap honey runs the risk of undercutting the EU honey sector if it's not handled with care, and also that the EU's detection of fraudulent honey is just not up to scratch. Jao, we're here today to talk a bit about this JRC, this Joint Research Centre report that was released um, back in August. So in a nutshell, the report found that while um, agricultural green goals are achievable, they also run the risk of being undermined by carbon leakage. And that was one of the main kind of takeaway messages from this report. So I'm wondering, according to you, how legitimate are these concerns? How concerned are you about this? I'm very concerned because this is not the first report uh, that examines the uh, proposals of the Commission Farm to Fork and Biodiversity Strategy. Uh, you might recall that there was a report a few months ago from the United States Department of Agriculture uh, that uh, reached uh, basically the same conclusions, that uh, the proposals would result in a, a very sharp contraction in production across the board, uh, really, uh, edible crops, uh, meat, dairy, uh, drops in revenue, drops in the trade balance of the European Union, prices would go up, so the consumers would pay more. And the benefits in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions will be mostly leaked. In one scenario, 60% will be leaked, in the other, what, slightly more than 50% leaked. So, as, as I said it in the blog for Farm Europe, this is lots of pain for very little gain. And I'm also curious about um, the concept behind the farm to fork, what you think about the concept behind the farm to fork, which is this 
um, adoption of targets in order to shape the food system. So what's your take on this target strategy uh, put forward by the Commission? Well, I have absolutely nothing against uh, a strategy that brings uh, together everything from farm to fork. I think that's important. Not only uh, how to produce, uh, what we produce, what price we produce, but also in terms of uh, what consumer wants and in the middle, all the, all the marketing chain, production chain. So I think the concept is fine. The problem is the targets. What do we want to achieve? I think that's the basic question. And what the commission says she wants to achieve is basically a reduction of the use of the leakages of uh, chemical fertilizers, of the use of pesticides, and the reduction on the emissions of uh, uh, greenhouse gas gases. So those are the targets. Other than those targets, you have also an increase in organic production, planting more trees. But then we have to ask the following question. Are these the real targets? Or should we look at how can we uh, continue supporting our farming systems in such a way as to reduce emissions, right? But also at the same time, not uh, having an economic disadvantage, not having to face a contraction. So I think that's the basic problem uh, with the farm to fork and biodiversity strategies. It's not the concept, it's how you go after it. And the result and the, the paradigm, if I may, may say, is that the commission seems to accept a model where to reduce the, the emissions, you make the sector more poor and you make consumers pay more instead of looking at means to get to the same result, reducing emissions, but at the same time, strengthening the economic situation of the sector. And coming now back to the report, um, I want to come back to a kind of controversial aspect of this report. So much has been made of the timing of the release of this JRC report. And there's been some have been suggesting, you know, somewhat conspiratorially, this was a bit, um, maybe a bit odd, you know, it was published in the middle of summer, everyone was on holiday. Um, Some have suggested this might be uh, might be a deliberate strategy, perhaps, by the Commission. I- I'm wondering what your take on this is. Um, why do you think this was released when it was? Do you agree with the criticisms that have been levied against the Commission about the timing of this report? Look, I- I'm not the type of person that is uh, um, very uh, uh, adamant to accept uh, conspirational theories. But in this situation, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a fact. I know it's a fact. So uh, the let's put it this way. Sectors in the commission at the highest level didn't want the report to go out in the middle of the discussion of the cap reform. That's a fact. 
So they delayed it. And also they realized that the report would be damaging to the commission and to the commission proposals. So they were forced to put it out uh, because um, they were facing a request for transparency in terms of uh, and freedom of information, etc. So they had to release it. But they have chosen the moment which was the less uh, damaging for the commission having regards what is in the report. That's a fact. That's not a conspiration theory. And there are also other um, people like, for instance, the, the Green MEP, uh, Benoit Bito, uh, saying that the main outcome of the study is not the assessing the impact of the Farm to Fork strategy. I mean, the, the, the report itself uh, say that it's not an impact assessment, but uh, this certification that the current agroeconomic models, such as the uh, CAP, RI, CAPRI, are not good to evaluate the impact of the farm to fork. So what do you think about that and how we could actually uh, assess the impact of this, uh, of this strategy? Well, I, I think that, in my opinion, is just spin. Uh, as the commission in the report uh, goes very far to try to lessen the uh, obvious impact of the very negative results of the study. Well, let me be a little bit more concrete. This model is used by uh, the uh, uh, Commission, but is also used across the world by OECD countries. And uh, it's true that the model does not capture what is the impact of the farm-to-fork and biodiversity strategies in the health of uh, Europeans. But look, there is no question that even currently, and in the future, I hope it will go on like that, the food we consume is, uh, from that viewpoint, safe. Uh, so these type of questions are more of a, and issues are more of a way of trying to devalue the negative impact of the study. If I would be critical, I would say that on the contrary, some of the assumptions used by the commission services are overly optimistic. Let me tell you, let me just say, two or th three, very quickly. One of the key elements to help reduce the emissions is to increase investments in uh, mitigation technologies, as they call, for instance, precision farming. And so the assumption is that investments will go up so quickly, so dramatically, that 60% of the whole production in the EU would be covered by precision farming and other mitigation technologies by 2030. When at the same time, farmers' revenues would drop significantly. How can you expect a farmer to invest more if the revenue is coming down? So this is an example. Um, 
For instance, another example. Prices would skyrocket, for instance, for pork because there will be a contraction in production, right? For other uh, meats, beef would also face uh, a very uh, large price increase. But as prices skyrocket, imports will grow, but not as much. And even the report says, oh, perhaps this does not reflect the real world, but there is nothing else we can do about it. And finally, Brexit. They haven't taken into account Brexit. Brexit will reduce uh, our exports and will have a negative impact in our output. So if I have something to say on the report, is that it is a bit optimistic. The likely impact will be harsher. And I have one last question for you, Zhao. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit more about the strategic plans in the in the common agricultural policy um, reform. So the report made uh, a lot about the design of the member states' national strategic plans, saying basically that they underpin the success of the sustainable transition. But I'm wondering, what role do you see these strategic plans having in delivering the farm to fork goals? I mean, how far do you think these plans can help avoid the risks of the transition that were outlined in this report? There are two issues. Um, one, prior to uh, responding to uh, directly to your, your question, is how can the strategic uh, national strategic plans address the farm to fork and biodiversity strategy uh, goals if those goals are not as yet EU law. They have not been adopted by the co-legislators, by the European Parliament and by the Council. So we have a tension there. And we have to see whether they will be adopted, how, when, what changes will be made, and so on and so forth. That, that's one, one question. The other is, looking at the CAP, the reformed CAP as it was adopted, has it the potential to um, get uh, these um, targets done? Well, I would say no, because if you believe that the common agricultural policy will uh, supplement all the uh, financial needs of the sector facing the contraction that it will face if the farm to fork and biodiversity strategies would uh, go uh, further. Uh, the revenue drops, all that, there is no way the CAP can uh, uh, fill that gap. Uh, and the report itself in the latest scenarios, takes into account the new CAP. So all the resources, the architect, architecture of the new CAP is already um, featured in the scenarios run by the Commission. So the answer is no, it won't avo avoid uh, the very negative results. Uh, that's all from us this week. This podcast is uh, produced by Euractiv's agri-food team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foot, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. And this podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, 
Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly agri-food newsletter so that you don't miss the latest news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foote. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.